Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Mark Henry and I go around the world in pro wrestling with our very own Rumor Roundup and Justin Labar. All the breaking news and all the rumors, we talk about it with Justin on today's episode of the Busted Open Podcast. Also, on the heels of Cobra Kai Season 1 and 2 being on Netflix, we talk to Sensei John Kreese. That's right, Martin Cove joins us right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Justin Labar doing his rumor roundup. Justin, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. I mean, I'm good. I'm with you guys, but I mean, I don't know if I can. Yeah. First off, I don't know if I can follow Hugo. That's that's a, I mean, I mean, you, I, I'm the popcorn duty. match now. <laughs> I'm the popcorn <laughs> match here. <laughs> Secondly, now that, we, now that we got that out of the way, great to, great to get to say I'm following Hugo. I, I, I have to get my moment because everybody on that social asked me to do it. And I said, I'll wait for my time. I'm not going to do a run in. Wow. I would just like to ask you guys, how did the Dallas Cowboys do? And did you see what the Washington football team did? We, oh, I, wow. It, oh, yeah. And you know what, oh, Justin? Wow. Justin, <laughs> I was thinking you for the first half of that game. I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to rip Justin on Friday. But, you know, the team with no name did come back. And listen, if you wanted me to hate a team more than Washington, it would be the Philadelphia Eagles. So in a way, I was rooting for your team, Justin. But yes, so far this NFL season, I your team is 1-0. Oh. Yeah, that just, that just <laughs> won't happen. But your team is 1-0, and oh, and our team is 0-1. Oh Not a good I start, gotta, but a good start for you, Justin. I got to gloat when I get a chance to gloat. I mean, yeah, 1-0. Oh. Yeah, you better get it in because it won't happen much this year. 27 unanswered points. I mean, you just got to, you got to gloat about that. So thank you. Thank you for indulging me. I had to get that out of my system. It has been pent up. I got to release it. We can go on with the regularly scheduled program now. All right. But just know this, Justin, now that you're bringing this up today, right? There are many, many weeks left in this <laughs> NFL season. So I'm just telling you, you don't ever want to talk trash week one. So we'll see what happens the following. No, when you're the Redskins, you got to take it when you can get it. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to talk trash while the dumpster's open, my friend. I don't, I, okay. I mean, I don't got I, so. Okay, and really quick, because you mentioned Hugo, and Hugo. I mean, I, I think maybe I got one question in because Hugo could go. He went. He went. We oh, had him on for go. thirty. He he went, and he not only did he go, he changed topics like mid answer. So like he went completely for thirty minutes. I will say this about Hugo, Justin, really quick is that I grew up listening to Hugo, and I, I didn't know much Spanish at all. But you didn't need, because you, as you mentioned, Mark, 
the, the energy level that he had. And he never, he never said uh, Dusty. He never said Ric Flair. He never said Ronnie Garvin. It was always the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. It was always the nature boy, Ric Flair. It was yeah. always the man with the hands of stone, Ronnie Garvin. He was extremely descriptive and very respectful to everybody who stepped into that ring. So we appreciate Hugo Savinovich. But Justin, man, dude, it's, it's amazing in the world of wrestling. And you're only with us once a week. There's always so much to talk about when it comes you know, to the rumors and the news that break, you know, constantly in our sport. And the one thing I wanted to, to bring up to you, because I didn't read much about it, but I saw on social media, you know, this is a name that kind of popped up a couple of years ago and now it's popping up again. Daniel Cormier definitely seems like he wants a, a career in the world of wrestling. Yeah, the former UFC champ is, as you said, he's he's not been quiet. He's always been kind of uh, hovering around the pro wrestling scene, at least just with rumors and and speculation. And, and but he he himself has talked about how he's been a fan his entire life. Obviously, we've seen crossover from the MMA world with success to the pro wrestling world. So there's that aspect of it. And uh, just recently, kind of he he talked again. I think it was to Sports Illustrated to Justin Barrasso. And uh, he, he kind of took it a step further. Not only did he say, you know, he admitted that there are very, very early talks going on with WWE, but he like, he like full on, like had the pitch of how to do his opening, like six months. He, his pitch was basically like, don't bring me in as a, as a, as a, as a wrestler performer right off the bat. Let me come to the commentary desk. Let me, let me get these guys and girls over. Let everybody hear my passion on the commentary desk. And then there could be that time where, you know, you know, pick the wrestler, you know, comes over and then maybe they, they, they get in his face and, you know, is, is this what's going to lead to the first match? So, you know, he's already got his creative juices flowing of how Justin, he I said in. that two weeks ago, I said that two weeks ago, like bring, like the dude is a really, really good announcer. Like, let him get it in. That's what, that's what he's in. saying. He, oh my gosh. It's Taylor. That's what, that's what he's saying now to Sports Illustrated. That's he, so he's running with your. Yeah, he needs to give you ten percent, Mark. He's running with your uh, your advice. You know my thing. I don't want nothing. I just want wrestling <laughs> to be better. Yeah, you know, with him, I wonder though. Like, I mean, because the only thing, I, and, and I, I would never, I, would, I don't want to say this disrespectfully because I know he'd kick my ass. You know, he's uh, Daniel's not as you know he's not as tall as a Brock Lesnar. You know, I don't even know if he's as. I mean, you know, Ronda Rousey has a, has a size that, that that looks, you know, that that's comparable in the women's division. Brock Lesnar obviously has a size in, you know, for the male talent. You know, Daniel's not the biggest. I, that's not to say he's not a badass, but I, but be, being that wrestling is such a visual business, and you make a you make a you make up your mind to a certain extent as soon as they come out the curtain. I, I wonder how he would translate. I'm not saying it wouldn't work, but I would be very curious to see how he translates. And maybe the commentary desk would help that because you get into his personality just by hearing him without necessarily having to see him the entire two hours. I don't know, but that's, that's something I've always thought about. He's under, he's under six foot. So that makes me wonder how Justin, he would. I'm, I'm near 50. And I remember as a little kid late in his life, late in his wrestling career, rather, um, Fritz Von Erich would come to the ring. And he would have matches with the young guys and the guys that were really, really over. And it would look, when he came out, I'd be like, oh, my God, they're going to kill this old man. And they beat on him a little bit. But that's what he allowed because he had the equalizer. That's who I see Daniel Cormier being, a guy that could come out and fight all these young guys and they, they, they're able to have pro wrestling 
take advantage. But when he won, put that claw on people, it was over her. It was over. And that's what Daniel is going to have to do. If he starts wrestling, there's going to have to be something that he does that it doesn't matter how good you were that day. You're going to get beat. And, and that's the thing that you, you have to think about. Wrestling is a, is a story business. It's a, um, it's a feel business. You got to do something that make people feel Daniel. And, and what is that? You always have the, the good guy come out and, and make the save and knock all the bad guys off. Is he going to be that guy? Or is he going to be the guy that's going to be sitting there minding his own business and they say, hey, man, like you're a bad dude. Go help. Go help. Hey, that ain't none of my business. Like you, there's multiple stories you could tell. You have to employ that with Daniel because he's, he's a special character. But you know what, Mark? As you're explaining that, it kind of ties into what he said in that Sports Illustrated interview and what Justin just said as well. Because there's a few things. You just mentioned the last thing, like, go help him. And he's like, that's none of my business. It's almost like he would be custom fit to be a commentator first. Because the one thing we do know is that, and we've seen a lot of, Mark, you and I have done shows about the hatred that fans have for Ronda Rousey. You know, Tyson Fury comes. Everybody hates Tyson Fury. Here's this somebody from another sport that's walking into pro wrestling just to get a little shine. That's why, like, if Daniel Cormier comes in and he's not even an in-ring competitor, he's just a commentator, well, I think the fans are going to fall for Daniel Cormier, the announcer. And then until that incident that you bring up, Mark, happens where it's like, all right, he has to make a decision whether things are going to get physical or not. I think that's the perfect way to introduce somebody from outside of our world because, Justin, you know how wrestling fans could be. If he just walked right in and all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm Daniel Cormier, former UFC champion, the fans are going to reject that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And uh, <laughs> you're right. There, there's there's a lot of if, if you're coming for if you did not if you did not work for five dollars and a hot dog and a handshake and work your way yep. up through the independent wrestling scene, there is a portion of the fans, a vocal portion of the fans that they don't care that, that, that you know, that, 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 that to me again, we've talked about it. We, we all three of us have praised Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin gets hate because he can't, because he, he's a former NFL player. He, yeah. you know, he trained and worked at the performance center, paid his dues there, but because he didn't pay his dues in a small uh, gym in you know in Poughkeepsie, there's just a, there's just this, this this mindset that a certain portion of fans have that you don't deserve to be here, which is which is which is ass backwards. But you're but you're right, Dave. Yeah, I, and I and I think I guess I chose to Daniel with him saying, "Hey, let me come in and do commentary." He might even recognize that that that's the way for him to go. So, yeah, and it's so different now because I'm I'm in the middle of reading a book about Muhammad Ali and Antonio Noki and that fight that happened in the 70s, and it was completely a different mindset than what it is now. Because Justin, you are so right. Because we've seen it with Baron Corbin, with Charlotte, with Roman Reigns. If you weren't like somebody who wrestled on the indie scene and then worked their way up to getting this shot to be with NXT and then to be on the main roster in the WWE, it's almost like well, you didn't pay in your dues. You're you're being force fed down our throats or you're being handed this opportunity, which is not the case. You know, we've talked to Baron Corbin several times on the show. The guy grew up a wrestling fan. He was a passionate pro wrestling fan. And Justin, as, and you know, as a historian, 
I mean, the lineage, Ernie Ladd, Wahoo McDaniel, you know, Ron Simmons, so many people that were football players, Steve Dr. Death Williams, football players that became pro wrestlers. That That's happened for decades and decades in this business. And for some reason, there's like this stigma when it comes to wrestling fans. If you didn't make it on the indie scene, you're garbage. Right. And at the end of the day, eventually talent wins out. Eventually, you know, long enough, you know, talent does win. I mean, I mean, Mark, I mean, you know, Mark coming into WWF in 1996 and Mark, I'm sure you felt you got some of that from the from the fans at the time. Obviously, the Internet wasn't wasn't a thing like it is now. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it, there's just a but at the at the end of the day. You know, you put in a whole lot of time, a whole lot of work, and you eventually now 1996, obviously you, you felt, I'm sure, a lot of backlash from from fans. Uh, and, and But now today in 2020, if I ask anybody who's been watching wrestling, at least for the last 10 years, uh, what's one of your favorite kind of like swerve segments so often? Uh, the you and then the, and the jacket in the retirement and, and then the slam and John Cena comes up as like just a work of art. And and I think yeah. that's, that's great to see like how once upon a time, nobody would ever thought the wrestling fans would ever thought, Oh, this guy's never going to work me on live TV and get me emotionally you know, fooled. And, and, and so at the end of the day, ta- talent and time will win out. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I had uh, 15 years of, you know, success but i i had about four years of failure and i had to prove myself you know to to get people to buy into me and i think that that's what people are going to have to do a lot more of now in pro wrestling because people come from different walks of life and not necessarily from fight backgrounds but you know acting rapping singing, whatever, modeling, like give these people a a chance, like let them develop and turn into what we look at as being special. And that's a pro wrestler. And uh, I I just hope that a lot of this hate and a lot of this judgmental uh, mentality goes away. I mean, and, and it's a, it's kind of like a gen. I won't even say a generational thing. I think just things change over the decades because you look at like the boom period of the WWF in the '80s. A big part of that, and we talk about it a lot on the show, is like Cindy Lauper and the in the in the Rock and Wrestling connection. When Cindy Lauper showed up and like you know punched Captain Lou and Roddy Piper, the fans went ape shit. Like if that happened today, the fans would be boo. Like Cindy wouldn't have a chance because the fans would boo her. It's just yeah. I I, I almost feel, it's like it's weird. When I was younger and a wrestling fan, wrestling fans wanted acceptance from the mainstream. It seems like fans today they 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 don't care about the acceptance of the mainstream. I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, but I I think it's how wrestling and the fans have kind of changed over the years, Justin. Can you imagine how how irate Twitter would go if Lady Gaga showed up on SmackDown and knocked out Zelina Vega? It would, it, yeah, it would be. They, and, but you know, as a fan back then, it was like, holy shit! Like wrestling is not just this little niche thing anymore. It's really mainstream. Look how big it is. Cindy Lauper has the number one song on the pop charts. Is in is being interviewed by you know Rowdy Roddy Piper. This is so cool. But you're right. If that happened today, people would be like, oh, we don't, you know, no, no. I think people have to understand about like this is only going to help the business moving forward, you know. Yeah, it's always forgotten about that. Yeah, main, you know, if if you're getting mainstream attention, that's that at the end of the day, that's going to ultimately it, it's going to help. It might help in ways that the wrestling fan can't see or can't 
you know, touch, you know, tangibly touch, but yeah, it is, you're right. It's, it's been forgotten of like, don't you want to be accepted? Don't you want to have your clips being played on, on the today show and good morning America? Like, don't you want that? You know? Yeah, it's just different. And I'm not saying it's either right or wrong. It's just a perception by fans. All right, something else that got a lot of attention this week, and obviously was a big topic here on Busted Open, Justin, was what took place on Monday Night Raw between Mickey James and Asuka. You know, it looked like Mickey James was actually, it even almost looked like a pin attempt to me. The referee stops the match. The match is over. You see the shock and surprise on Mickey James's face, and then they quickly go to Zelina Vega. Justin, what the hell happened at the end of that match on Monday? It sounds like it just simply just was the referee having a, a miscue. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about it is, you know, the referee obviously, you know, trying to do his job, which is obviously to, to look after the well-being of the talents in the ring, um, you know, thinking that he he needed to stop the match, that Mickey was, you know, compromised, that she was legitimately hurt or, 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 or you know, yeah, choking, exactly, uh, which she wasn't. So that's so it made it look awkward. And you're right. It, was it a submission? Was it a pin? Um, at the end of the day, I mean, obviously you can't unsee it. It's live TV. It's, 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 you know, Hey, we're live pal. Uh, what I like to focus on <laughs> is let's give credit. <laughs> let's give credit to Mickey yeah. to sell her ass off, to be able to fool <laughs> the third man in the ring. And I don't know, you know, I don't know, obviously, you know, the, you know, Gorilla can obviously speak to the referees. I don't know what Vince and the producers, what they thought, if they also thought that Mickey was compromised, but that that's, I mean, bravo. I yeah. mean, what a sell Hell job. of a job. Hell of a job. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to sell on the people that are watching at home, but somebody who's six inches away from you to be able to sell it to the referee. Yeah, kudos to Mickey James. And I'm hoping, Justin, that they make this, They like Mark said earlier in the show, Run it don't, back. don't just let it die. Like, do something with it. Make this a story. Make this a series of matches. I mean, it, you got your fan base talking and excited about it. This is probably the most exciting thing to come out of Monday Night Raw. Like, <laughs> capitalize on it, you know? Dave, Dave, I would have them go out, introductions, the same referee in the ring, and then right before they ring the bell, another referee comes down and tells him, hey, you, you're out of here. <laughs> Like, you punish him. I would have Mickey James beat the shit out of the referee. Like, I would have the bell ring, and then Mickey James just turns around and beats the shit out of him. I mean, I 100% agree, Dave, on the logic of your idea. It's got people talking. It it is the it was the biggest headline basically coming out of that that raw, respectively speaking. Um, I, I you know I don't know WWE. You know, obviously it was it was it was a botch, as we would say. So I don't know if they will you know be able to just laugh it off and roll with it. it. Yeah, I don't know if they'll shed light on it. The other thing too, which is interesting, I can remember once upon a time when I, you know, when I was a, a kid, I could name every single WWE referee. One because I was just a fanatic fan that watched everything, and two because I paid attention and they and I knew, okay, that's that's Jack Doan, that's Mike Yoda, that's Earl Hebner, that's Timmy White. The WWE in this day and age, they don't they they don't speak the referees' names. That's a no no. Yeah. That's that's right now. It's on the no no list. They they don't, uh, you know. So I, and I don't know what you know what the Maybe it's okay. You know, he's supposed to be the invisible guy in there. We're not supposed to, you know, unless it's an angle that is meant to put light on, uh, you know, the last referee angle I can really remember them doing was Mania 14. All of a sudden, here comes Scott Armstrong out. He's the referee who's on the uh, payroll for, uh, you know, the, the for, for, for Triple H and Vince and all of them. I mean, that and that was kind of a, a long, a long slow burn thing where Scott had disappeared many months earlier. You know, they, they, the referees, they kind of just treat him as the invisible person. They don't really want to put yeah. focus on them. So I don't know if they will 
shed light, but I'm with both of you. I would I would like them to because Mickey Mickey's got people talking. She did her job, and certainly Mickey James. Yeah. I'll, I'll always take more of her on my TV. Justin, what do you think about Mickey walking up to the referee before the show and them showing like them standing back there and she going, so how much did you get paid? And he goes, no, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. Look, I thought you were choking. I, I, I made a call. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Like, I'd love to be able to make this right. Um, I mean, if, if, if hopefully if, they, if you have the match again, you know I'm going to call it right down the middle, yada, yada, yada. And then they, they book the match again and then just have the company say, no, you had your shot, and not send another referee down there to relieve him of his duties and send his ass to the back, and then they do it again. Of but course, in the pro wrestling world, I would have that referee screw him over too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and to me, that'll come down to if the story is, is somebody in the office trying to screw her, which if that's the case, I'm okay with, because otherwise, if you're trying to say Oscar's paying all these refs, you know, they, they just, they, they just kind of went back to Oscar being a baby face because I think yeah. she was just getting over so and much. And a badass, so, too. And so a, ba- a badass. Yeah. Right. But if, it, but if it's the office, if, if there's a separate story that's going to veer off of Mickey's not going for the title anymore, but now she's she's trying to figure out who's trying to screw her, who's who's holding her down in the office, maybe. I mean, I know people get a little weary on, on having office and more authority figures out there, but I could buy into it for something like that because it gets Mickey on TV more. It kind of plays some of what fans talk about. You know, fans talk about Mickey could be off TV for for months and then she gets a TV match and she loses quickly or, or in this case gets screwed. So I'd be okay with it. If the office is who the opponent is and there's some mystery man or woman behind it, I don't want it to be Oscar's paying off because Oscar's too much of a badass to need to pay off a referee. All right. Yeah. yeah most definitely. Let me, let me throw this out there. Maybe I'm playing the throw conspiracy it, theory. It. I'm going <clears> to <throat> play, you know, play the conspiracy theorist here. Okay. Justin, I think you probably know where I'm going. Jesse, you know, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I should write a book. Um, David, you're a fine American. Let me hear the conspiracy. <laughs> um, we had Nick Aldis on, and Nick Aldis had some choice things to say about Bruce Pritchard, and he did that, uh, you know, on social media as well. Right immediately after some of those media spots that he did, and and the one that he did with us, um, Mickey James not only lost her next match. She didn't even have an entrance. You know, she was, you know, waiting in the ring, as we like to say. So, you know, and then she has a match where it's, they built it up, the final opportunity for Mickey James to get a championship title match. And she's going there on live TV to go up against Asuka. And there's a non-finish. This is a six-time women's champion we're talking about, Justin. To me, she is a WWE Hall of Famer. She's not exactly getting that type of treatment. So... Is there anything to like, maybe this is payback because of all the stuff that her husband has said out there on the media? Well, yeah, I don't think there's too much of, there's not too many coincidences in pro wrestling. Things usually have a meaning or a purpose behind them, mm-hmm. whether it's, whether it's, whether it's just, you know, Hey, that's just how it is. And, and it, it's, it's a rib and it's in joking fun or it's a, it's a little more serious. I mean, yeah, I have a hard time believing it's a coincidence because it's not like, you know, if Mickey was on every single week for the last year and so it just happened to come into these two weeks, it fit within the bookie plans to have her lose. Okay, maybe. But here's somebody who's had noticeable large gaps of absence uh, while being healthy. Yep. It's not like she was, it's not like she was on the shelf. So 
yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to call that a coincidence. It's also hard if you know anything about the pro wrestling business to just think that that's a coincidence. Uh, so, yeah, it, I hope it, that's it is not. What it is. I hope that's not the case. Yeah. But you know, you know, the, you know, it's just like, and then we saw Miro and Lana, and something very, very similar. You know, you're. Miro says some things on AEW television and, you know, he's on with us. He's like, no, they would never be that petty. And then that same night, your wife <laughs> loses in 30 seconds and then gets Samoan dropped through a table. I'm yeah. just saying, Justin, Listen, it's yeah. It, 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 so many people in the wrestling business, uh, top of the playlist, petty, Tom petty, top of the playlist. <laughs> okay. All right. Justin, last thing, you know, we talk a lot about ratings. Um, AEW and NXT finally back after about a month going head to head on Wednesdays. And, you know, AEW had a, a sizable victory over NXT, but both shows dropped in the ratings. Is it time for NXT be, to be moved to Tuesday nights? It's got to be considered. You know, I mean, I know we touched on this before. It's got to be considered. Again, why wouldn't you? If you can gain more fans, it seems like an obvious. Again, it goes back to pride. It goes back to can you swallow your pride because they because NXT was on Wednesdays first. So, you know, if, at this point, the, the two options are either to move, but you're going to get your, you know, you're going to get hammered by, by again, critics and fans of all oh, AEW ran them off of Wednesday night. The other option is you got to start beating them. <laughs> that's your two options right now. I mean, you, I don't, you know, I don't think it's good to, to stay on Wednesdays and keep getting, you know, it's it's one thing when you're getting beat by, you know, and the, the different, the margin of difference is, you know, 50,000 or less. But I mean, you know, this past week was 886,000 compared to 689,000. So, I mean, we're talking about 200,000 difference. That's, that's sizable. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a big deal. So, um, and I think both shows, you know, both shows are entertaining in their own way. Yes. Uh, I, I think AEW has a lot more like you're turning your head, your head's got to be on a swivel because there's all this stuff coming at you. You know, some of it's whatever, but it's, it's entertaining. It's, it's, it's a very uh, frantic pace. I think NXT is the better traditional wrestling show. Uh, I think they, I think they, I think they slow burn and long build better with uh, guys and girls. So there's something for everybody. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it should at least be considered. Yeah, I, I would if I'm, if I'm WWE and NXT in USA. And, 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 and again, ultimately, if I'm USA, I'm going to say, well, you know, this is a no brainer. You, you, we, we, uh, you know, we lost close to 200,000 viewers from one night to another. I mean, I don't care about this little war. I'm more concerned about getting ratings for the shows. The other thing too, Justin, and maybe I'm wrong. You're right. You know, if NXT was to move to say Tuesday nights, you know, the fans for a couple of weeks would be like, yes, you know, they lost the war. There was this, you know, ratings war on Wednesday. But after a couple of weeks, I think it would be forgotten. And, and ultimately, fans would be like, hey, I got this great show on Tuesday and I have this great show on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, the people that would hold on to it forever are, are going to be just the, the diehards that, 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 all, that are going to hold on to the most ridiculous things anyways. Diehard of, of, of AEW, I mean. So, yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it's not, you know, the it's not going to stop those extra, that, that extra viewership that would come to them on Tuesday. Um, you know, it would just be, you just have to answer to it for a few weeks. So, but I think ultimately, I think from a, from a money standpoint and just from an overall yeah health standpoint of it would be better. And yeah, yeah. For the fans, for all of us, we win because I'll tell you this again, I, and I'm usually live on wrestling Inc's YouTube on Wednesday nights with Matt Morgan and, and, and pro wrestler Sam Adonis and having to try to watch both shows and then try to give a quality, reaction to both even if you have two screens up 
you know, I can't, you, you can't have the volume at full blast to hear everything, hear every yeah. promo, catch everything. And so it's tough, <clears> you know, it, it, you know, at least I guess for you guys, maybe on a Thursday, at least you have a, a, a night to at least maybe in, in, in a little bit of the morning to digest it and, and go back and see something. We go on live literally five minutes after the shows go off the air. It's tough. And I, and I, and I, I inevitably every week we get some crap from some of the viewers of that, the feeling that we've shortchanged one show or the other or shortchanged a segment. And yeah, so I would, I, even for me, I'd prefer to be on two separate nights so I can fully enjoy what both shows, what both talents are trying to provide. So I think, I think it probably inevitably will happen. I don't know. I'm not saying it's gonna happen next week or even next month, but I wouldn't be shocked if by sometime in 2021, if we saw uh, NXT make a permanent move, I think that would be, I, I think that's eventually going to happen. I put my vote in for different nights. You know, it's too much wrestling in one night and you do a disservice to one if you have to if you're forced to watch them both at the same time. Because, I mean, for for your money, I thought that the match that uh, Thunder Rosa had um, Wednesday was better than the one she the the match she had at the pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. With the police. Yeah, I agree. I thought I mean, I thought it was a better match. Hands down. Like you know, the the wrestling on both shows was really good, and 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 for all of those people that that say, well, AEW, they're just a spot show, they're doing this, that's bullshit. If you watch this Wednesday, the 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 tag matches were really good wrestling matches. They were wrestling matches. They had a couple of little spots here and there, but it wasn't spot show wrestling on Wednesday. On both shows, it was like in the ring, grinded out matches that made sense. And I think that people need to get away from judging both companies off what the other person does. Judge them for what they are, who they are, and who they put in the ring. And enjoy the damn matches and quit being little jerks about it. (laughs) There you go. Words of wisdom from Mark Henry. Justin, as always, uh, appreciate. Don't be a jerk. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for the time. As always, let me ask you this, Justin, because we had a lot of rhymes for you last week. The nation Uh jumped in, tweeting you a lot of rhymes, you know. Justin, you know, he, playing his guitar. Here comes Justin Labar driving his car. There's Justin Labar. Have a drink at the bar. Justin Labar. Hardy har har. Justin Labar. Um, a lot of those little rhymes. Was there one in particular that struck your fancy? Uh, maybe because we were at Disney house with a five-year-old and two-year-old. I think there was something like, look out, look out. He's coming after Jafar. He's on the magic carpet ride with Aladdin. It is Justin Labar. There you go. There you go. Family friendly, Justin Labar. Justin, as always, thank you so much. He's wearing your car. (laughs) Justin Labar. Just remember. (laughs) Justin, (laughs) thank you. I don't just set the bar, I am Labar. Hey everyone, this is Kirk Morrison. This is Greg McElroy. And this is Nate Burleson. With the 2020 NFL season finally upon us, we're excited to announce three new NFL podcasts from SiriusXM. On Total Coverage, we'll explore the hows and the whys behind the week's biggest results. On Inside the Pocket, we will go under the helmet for all the quarterbacks in the NFL. And on 17 Weeks, Jamal Adams, Emmanuel Sanders, and Eric Ebron will discuss the latest NFL stories straight from the locker room. New episodes of all three podcasts will be available every week on the SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. A lot to talk about with this man. He is definitely a legend when it comes to film and TV. I mean, you could just put your TV on anytime and you're going to see 
a Starsky and Hutch episode with this gentleman, or maybe an episode of Quincy, or maybe an episode of the Rockford Files, or who knows, maybe the new series that's now on Netflix, Cobra Kai. And again, a lot of people know him as Sensei John Kreese, but he is the legendary Martin Cove. Sir, how are you today? I'm very good. Very good. Thank you. How are you doing? We're good. And you know what? Like one show that no, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with you. And, you know, obviously a lot of people bring up Karate Kid and they bring up the new series Cobra Kai. But like, my goodness, I mean, a lot of us grew up watching you on Cagney and Lacey. I mean, that was a hit show. And yet nobody brings that show up. You were fantastic in Cagney and Lacey. Thank you. I think that show was ahead of its time, you know. 1982 to 88, we were on for six years. But, you know, no one wanted to see two women at that time. Yeah. You know, do Charlie Brunson, Clint Eastwood. Nobody, you know, plus it was very emotional. And the episodes were taken from directly from The New York Times. And it was great for me. I mean, I, I always wanted that show to be called Cagney Lacey and his Becky my character's name, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I always felt the show was about me anyway, which fit the character very well, you know, but the bottom line was, it was great people, great scripts ahead of its time. And, uh, you know, we still keep in touch, you know, Sharon Glass and Tyne Daly and I, and Barney Rosenzweig, we still stay in touch, try to see each other. Tyne's always on Broadway and I'll go catch her play. And Sharon, we will go out to dinner once in a while. And, uh, it was a great group. I had a great education, great education and working with just classy, classy scripts, you know, just great. But it had a limited audiences. You're right. Very limited. When you look at your career and I, and I just mentioned like some of the shows that you were on, you know, the new Twilight Zone, um, you know, Starsky and Hutch, like shows that a lot of people grew up with. And like with all these nostalgia, even channels like me TV, cozy TV, you know, almost on a daily basis, you can put on one of those channels and and see an episode that you were involved in. Do you find yourself kind of like seeing a rebirth of a lot of those shows that you were a part of back in the 70s and 80s? Sure. I mean, you look at Starsky and Hutch and they did a movie about it. You know, um, you know, Starsky and Hutch was a lot of fun. Uh, but those shows, you know, the, I think one of the best shows that, that most memorable was I, on a Charlie's Angels. I kidnapped Sammy Davis Jr. And I was watching a documentary last night on Frank Sinatra. And um, it was really interesting. And they talked a lot about Sammy Davis. And Sammy Davis gave me a, uh, his double rig. He was a real fast draw. And he gave me his double rig, which is a you know a holster with two, you know with two holsters. It's a belt with two holsters on. It's called the double rig, and he gave it to me. And he was really a fast draw. And I had it for twenty five years. And I I kidnapped him on this Charlie's Angels episode. Years later, like last year, it sat on my saddle forever. And I figured I was working with Quentin doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I said to myself. This holster was made by Arvo Ojala, who made all the Western holsters for the 60s Westerns back in the day. Colt 45, Maverick, Sugarfoot. You know, he made all those. And his name was carved on the back of this with Sammy Davis Jr.'s initials. I said, if I have a good time today with Quentin, I'm going to give him this holster. So I brought it in, had a great time on the movie, gave him the rig. 
and he was tickled pink. And then at the premiere, he said to me, Marty, did you see the holster? I put it in Al's office, in Pacino's office. Did you see it? Did you see it? And of course, I said, yeah, I saw it. I saw it, Quentin. I did see it. It was very good. I loved it. You know, those little things, those little moments, those little, I guess, trivia things that happen in your career that 25, 30 years later, here I am with Quentin giving him Sammy Davis Jr.'s double rig because I know he'd enjoy it. Those are the things that make you think about those 70 shows that you did mm-hmm. and all the marvelous moments of being a young, irresponsible actor who didn't have any possessions, just did from go from one job to the next. And all you cared about was a good guest starring role. You know, it was different. It was quite different than it is now. You know, you mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm interested in that because I know that Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of like those those shows in the 70s. Like, did that lead to you getting the role in that movie? How did how did that come about? Well, good. You do your homework. You do your homework. It's good. I want to tell you, um, I always wanted to work with him. And one day I went to a screening of Inglorious Bastards and I wanted to do a Western with him. And he had done Hateful Eight and or was going to do Hateful Eight and Django. And I went to the screening of Inglorious Bastards and um, he's on the dais with uh, with Brad Pitt and uh, Diane Kruger and Michael Fassbender. And I raised my hand to ask a question about a thousand people in the theater. I think it was Directors Guild. And he says, Martin Cove, Martin Cove, you're one of my favorite actors. And I said, uh, and he says, I loved you in this movie, Firehawk. Now, Firehawk was, a, was not such a great movie that I did in the <laughs> Philippines. You know, I did in the Philippines. But Quentin loved it because Quentin sees everything. You know, he's yeah. just so astute. He sees everything because he worked in a video store. So this was something I did in 1992, a shoot him up. And the director... Director, you know, he could. It was a kind of director that you work for. Is Roger Corman's friend from USC that he worked with ages ago, and the guy never shot close-ups. He just used to like he wanted to see his horse run in the races, so he'd get done early and never shoot a close-up of anything. But it, but anyway, bottom line is, I, I got you know chatting with him, and Brad Pitt grabs the mic and says, "And Mr. Cove, we just screened." Karate Kid in my home for my six-year-old, and you're a legend in my house. Wow. Bottom line is, went backstage, got his phone number, you know, Quentin's number, tried to call him. I was tickled pink. I figured, oh, wow, I Quentin's number. For six months, I tried to get him. I couldn't read his handwriting. Couldn't read his handwriting. <laughs> I, I was slain. And then after all that homework, then I finally bump into him, chat him, gives me his number again. Still, I couldn't reach him. It was, you know, it was, it was he wasn't trying to shine me on. It just must have been the wrong number. He gave me twice. And then I get a call. About three months later, I get a call. Come play with us. And once about a time, and the scene was trimmed out a bit. But it was a lot of fun to work with this guy. And everybody loves him. And you go and you do five lines for him because he's like what John Ford must have been like in the repertory company with, you know, Ward Bond and John Wayne and all those guys. You just love working like Scorsese. You just love working for him, you know? Uh, Martin, if I had a dollar for every time a girl gave me a fake number in high school, I'd be able to buy a brand new house. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Martin, (laughs) I'm 
Mark Henry, man, I, I I'm sitting here thinking about how much fun we had at the going to the signings and the comic cons and stuff. Uh, do you miss them? And do you do? You, are you looking forward to the first time you can go back to one again just to see everybody? I, I miss them, you know, but I don't miss. I don't really miss the local ones so much. I miss, you know, the 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 international ones. I haven't done a good international. I haven't gone, you know, we just got invited to a lot, but you know, the show is number one, you know, out there in 138 countries or something. And, um, we were invited to a lot of international ones only last week. And I, I long to take my lady to my lady, Mary. I long to take her to Costa Rica, to, to Brazil, to, you know, distant locations and experience some of these because I've been, to the one in London. And it's always great to go to London and, you know, go to theater and all that. But um, I, I miss, you know, I, I like the interaction with the fans, the zoom. I did the virtual zoom and it, it, it's not the same, you know, and they limit you the amount of time with fans. You know, I, I haven't grown tired of the business. You know, I, I really like um, the interaction with people who appreciate you and remember stories and all that. I get texts like you can't believe of people come out of the woodwork now. And, you know, I met you with your father when my uncle was fixing your carburetor back in 1971. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, you get those kind of things and, it's okay. You know, it's terrific. I, you know, I, I got some last night that were astounding from friends who they would like a picture for their cousin's friend who knew you when you were in summer camp in 1961. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, oh, yeah. So, to answer your question, yeah, long, long and short of it. Sure, I miss those interactions with the fans. I haven't grown tired of any of that stuff yet, you know. The fans are cool. Fans remember stuff that shit that you don't even know. Yeah. It's really a lot of fun. I'm in the 50th year of the business, so it's a lot of crazy stories. One's done a lot of crazy things, and now I'm just calmer, much calmer. It's not John what, what about What about celebrities? Like people, you know, I, William, meeting William Shatner, I had met him before, but I didn't get to actually have a conversation with him. And, and, and when he did an appearance for the WWE. But at the Comic-Cons, now I've met him at Comic-Cons maybe 10 times, and we talk, and it's just like hearing him tell stories about, you know, his adventures and his life, like... I look more forward now to going to the Comic Cons just so I could talk to you guys, talk to the people that I admire growing up watching on television. Like that's the highlight of the whole thing to me. Like it's 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 my way of of entertaining myself and and man, I love it. Is there is there an element of that 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 you feel like, you know, oh man, I'd love to meet this person, I meet that person. Oh, sure. I mean that is that's probably you bring it up, man. It's probably the the highlight of everything. Uh, I want to say that meeting the fans is secondary and interacting with the fans to that, to what you just mentioned, because 
I really enjoy seeing people that I haven't seen in a long time. It's like going to those old syndicated, you know, in May, they used to have the CBS, NBC, ABC syndications where you'd see other actors and they talk about the new shows coming on. That was for network before yeah, streaming up front, and upfront event. Yeah, the upfront. Yeah. And, and you'd see actors that guest starred on your show 20 years ago. In some show you did, and now <laughs> yeah. both of you, now both of you are doing regulars on on series, and the stories. I mean, some of the stories are just, you know. I remember, and even in Karate Kid three, I couldn't do it because I had I got this series Hard Time on Planet Earth, but um, and they brought in a, a character called Terry Silver, who puts me on vacation, and then you know if you've seen the movie, you know it's, we ran around the set like two Terminators. There you had you had two guys like set loose and it was the third you know sequel and everybody had made money and everybody knew the Karate Kid movies. And we had the greatest time in the world, you know, Terry and I. And the, the fun I can never tell you the stories because they're too crazy. But, you know, <laughs> it is satellite radio. So please off, off there, <laughs> you know, but but you really just have a great time. And when I see him at a show, it's terrific. I haven't seen him in a, in a while. But, you know, when I bump into David Patrick Kelly, who did The Warriors, I mean, The Warriors, you know, it's a classic movie. Yeah. You know, I bump into, you bump into Shatner, who in 1984 hosted my parents at his equestrian event while I was doing Cagney and Lacey. And he was so kind to my parents, as difficult as some people say he is, he was aces with me and, and, you know, we had mutual friends and I'm into horses. So it's, you know, it was, it's always great to talk to him. You know, um, there's just so many characters. When I went to London and I saw the game of Thrones cast, I was like a small child, just, you know, I befriended, you know, the, the father, uh, of, um, um, I've forgotten his name, wonderful English actor, but the whole cast was there and they were big karate kid fans. So here I am going out having drinks with the cast of game of Thrones. And, you know, I was a game of Thrones fan, like, you know, like, like I am Yellowstone, you know? So it was very exciting and interacting with them is the best. Very best. Yeah. You know, Martin, uh, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. I would never go duck hunting with you, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. <laughs> God, have you done your homework? Holy shit. <laughs> I'm a big, I told you, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I've seen everything that you've done except the Karate Kid movies. It's the only thing I haven't watched the Karate Kid movies, but I've seen every, no, I'm joking. What? Of course Wait a minute. I've seen the what? Karate Kid. I've, of course, I've seen the Karate Kid movies. I, I guarantee course, yeah. you, I guarantee you that Martin Cove has not done an interview this long without somebody talking about the Karate Kid movies. 15 minutes, and we haven't even brought up the Karate Kid movies yet, or Cobra Kai. Well, I, I was on, I, you know, Cagney, I think Cowboys and Indians is one of my favorite magazines, and I did a 90-minute a interview because I just had so much to say about the Old West and the rejuvenation mm -hmm. of the Western and all, and that's what I'd love to do with my career before I bought it, is literally, you know, just bring back the Western. But, um, the, one of the greatest people to work for, you mentioned, was that Twilight Zone, with duck hunting with John Milius. And John Milius, unfortunately, had a stroke, but he is truly the closest thing we have to John Ford nowadays. 
because John is the consummate writer and, you know, you know, everything he's done, Apocalypse Now and all yeah. the way, you know, everything, Wind and the Lion. I got married to the soundtrack of the Wind and the Lion. You know, wow. I mean, that's so much. I love this guy. And, you know, he, unfortunately, as a communicator, you know, and, he, you know, he, he's had a stroke. So he's limited right now, but he's still brilliant. And we still sit around, smoke cigars and laugh about everything, about Sean Connery and about all the movies that, you know, we we love. And um, it's funny you bring up that because John Milius today, I think, is the closest thing we've got to someone who could make great Westerns and outdoor movies, but unfortunately can't get the chance. Yeah, but the duck show was a fun show. It was a funny show. Cole, Cole, who, who is your, who, what's your favorite Western? And I, the I'll give you mine. The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. Oh, yeah, 1969, good. Sam Peckinpah. You got to see it. If you haven't seen it lately, just get it. It's really, you know, it's got... And brilliant cast, but it's the kind of Western that was ahead of its time. It was very violent, but it's the kind of Western that's ahead of its time in the sense that that it's about a passing era. It's not about flash. It's about a passing era. And I love the Mexican Revolution. I love any movie with the backdrop, even if it's a romantic, romantic story, any movie with the backdrop of the 1916 revolution in Mexico. It's always so colorful. Zapata, Villa, you know, I just, I just love, you know, I just love that part of history. I find Spain and Mexico fantastic histories, yeah. wonderful, you know, the, the culture of El Cid and, you know, the Moors in Spain. I love that a great deal, you know, love it. And history. Man, yeah. the, Mag, Mag, the original Magnificent Seven um, just, you know, called to me. I mean, I kind of, I guess in the modern world, did you ever see the quick and the dead? Well, of course. The original, the quick and the dead, the first one with Sam Elliott or the second one? I saw the second one. I, I never saw the original for the quick yeah. and the dead. I saw it in New Zealand while I was doing, I was with the production manager of, of Hercules, the Kevin Sorbo Hercules. And I was in Auckland doing an episode and we both went to see Sam Raimi's movie. Cause you know, we all worked technically for Sam Raimi, because, you know, it was his company that made Hercules. And when I first saw it, what did you think? Did you like it? I, I liked it. I liked it. I, I, I really do think that um, that style of movie, like you said, it needs to come back. Like, I, I, I want to see more outdoors, Western-type fight movies, stories, cross-country travels, at the turn of the you know century, yeah, it, it's it's really the history movies. Are feel, I think the history movies are feel good movies, which is why Cobra Kai is so popular because nowadays we need feel good mm -hmm. stuff, you know. Yeah. But I find that I I find that I relax more. I could watch even the Searchers. She wore a yellow ribbon. Anything with that historical backdrop that takes me out of a city, that takes me into the rural environment. You know, um, the colors of Monument Valley. It, it doesn't even matter the story half the time. I could watch the first 10 minutes of Back to the Future 3 and somehow, you know, there's a Western sequence right there. And it's so relaxing. And it brings me back to being a little kid watching these horse operas that 
where they galloped across the, the TV, you know, with classical music in the background. I used to run around the back of the TV when I was five years old to wonder where the horse went with the rider, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mario, when you talk about like, especially right now, you, you need a little comfort and now is the perfect time to watch Cobra Kai and Cobra Kai, obviously a huge hit series, the first two seasons on YouTube, and now it's, it's, it's gone to Netflix. And it seems like since the move to Netflix, a whole group of people who didn't even catch it on YouTube are now watching it for the first time in anticipation for that third season. First of all, when are we finally going to be able to see the third season of Cobra Kai? Well, I think right after the first of the year, I mean, I don't, I don't have the date and the promo people, the publicity people are still, they don't have the date either. And they're going to be doing a big push, um, but it'll be after the first of the year. But, you know, it's it's a great season. We did it. It's in the can. It's all ready to go. But it's really fantastic. Everybody, whether you rewatched one and two from YouTube or it's new to you, the, the, it's such a well-done show because of the writing. You know, people talk about the chemistry between Ralph and Pat Morita. And Robert Kamen always says that's the star of the show. The star of the show is Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote wax on, wax off, who wrote, you know, sweep the leg, no mercy. We're still saying these lines, as far as I'm concerned, 35 years later, like we say, play it again, Sam. Like we say, yeah. Scarlet, I don't give a damn. Or you say, the force be with you. These lines only come from our classic movies that have a longevity of 50 years or more, you know? And uh, I just think... Without the great writing of Cobra Kai, those three, you know, showrunners and executive producers, writers, you know, Josh, John and Hayden, without them, we wouldn't have this. They write just beautifully. And, you know, they're like, I call them the tres escribes. You know, my, my I actually call them my magnificent writers because like the Magnificent Seven, they're just brilliant, brilliant guys, you know, brilliant. And by the way, Magnificent Seven, the original, is just flawless. John I'm Sturgis, watching it later now. Yeah, it, not, the, not the remake. Remake's a good action picture, but it, it doesn't have as much, I think, the, the soul between Steve McQueen and, and, and Yul Brynner, that, that essence there of Charlie Bronson with the kids, that's, you know, it doesn't have as much of that in the action piece. Yet the action of the remake was terrific. You know, it's terrific, but it's a very special movie, you know, of course, taken from Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. And, um, yeah. you know, it's a very special movie for a lot of people. The original 1960 John Sturgis movie. All right, I'm writing it. I'm writing it down because I want to yeah. catch it. You said it's 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 the best movie. So you're saying it's like better than Police Academy Four Citizens on Patrol? Stop it, like, Dave. Don't make me what? don't make me what? drop kick you. <laughs> Well, just... <laughs> you're, you're being offensive. You know what? what? It, for, it's not a Western, but right. the book it's of a little Eli. Better than Harold and Kumar go to. It's like you know Harold and Kumar go to Washington. Go to White yeah. Castle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Cove, you you gotta see you gotta see uh, the the book of Eli. I'm sure you probably saw it. But oh, it, yeah, was, it, good it wasn't really a Western, but it reminded me of the old school Westerns. 
because I couldn't take my eyes off the main character. And that's the thing about the old school Westerns. The, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was a, I was a, a guy that used to like the show, The Rifleman. And of I, course, could, sure. I could never take my eyes off him because he just commanded the screen. And in that movie, Denzel Washington, uh, man, did he command the screen. You could not take your eyes off that guy. And uh, I, that's, that is, man, you, 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 the nostalgia is rushing all over me right now about the old school Westerns. They're the best. I mean, they're, they're the best. You know, it was the American heritage of cinema. And the first movies, one of the first movies ever to come out was like a six minute movie called The Great Train Robbery in 1906. And I think that, you know, the genre became very popular in the silent era because the people were still alive. You know, if you had a movie, you know, 10 minute movie, silent screen about Tombstone, during the OK Corral shoot up of 1881, the people were still living who, you know, were living in the West at, a, at the time when all this happened. You know, the 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 uh, land rush that those people were still alive, you know, in the period of when silent movies came out. So they're going and watching a silent Western with, you know, all those silent characters. And bottom line is they're watching their lives over the last 30 years wow and it was it was a great concept and those you know the guys who you know dw griffith all of them you know that another movie you should watch is very it's terrific is uh um the one that anthony banderas did as pancho villa and starring pancho villa as himself it was an hbo movie and it's all about dw griffith who pays twenty five thousand dollars to pancho villa during the revolution and he needed money to finance the revolution. He paid him so he could go down there and make a little movie while with using the the backdrop of the revolution, the real revolution, when Villa was fighting against the federales. And it gets out of hand because Pancho Villa just kills a lot of people for the sake of the movie, just so the guy can have the footage. And it was real and it really happened. And um, I won't tell you the, the rest of it, but it's called and starring Pancho Villa as himself. And it's an HBO movie you can get on DVD. It's 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 great. It's oh, really good. It's all, all about the film industry. You know, Mr. Cove, this has been amazing. Like you said, trying times, uh, a great comfort show is Cobra Kai. Uh, the first two seasons are streaming on Netflix now. The third season is going to be coming very, very soon. Very much anticipated. And and Mr. Cove, as a fan of yours, and I know Mark is a fan of yours as well, it is a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you very much. You guys did your homework. I'm very, very excited about that. You did all your great homework. I had a great time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.